a young perspective on hot-button issues around the world. This is The Hub. Hello and welcome to this episode of The Hub on CGTN. I'm Wang Guan in Beijing. German Chancellor Olaf Scholz begins his China visit from November the 4th, his first trip to China after taking office. The significance cannot be overstated since this year marks the 50th anniversary of diplomatic relations between China and Germany. He's also the first Western leader to come to China since the 20th National Congress of the Communist Party of China. And the visit coincides with the opening of the China International Import Expo, or CIIE, in Shanghai. Now, Belan Gariho is the chair of the executive board and also CEO of German company Merck. She's accompanying the chancellor as a member of the German delegation. Now, Merck, as some of you don't know, headquartered in Damarstad, is the world's oldest operating chemical and pharmaceutical company. And today has more than 20 entities, over 4,000 employees, and a total investment of more than 750 million US dollars. In the Chinese mainland, Balan Gardejo shares her thoughts on the future of healthcare, Merck's plans in China, and China-Germany relations. Madam Belan Galico, welcome to the Hub on CGTN. It's an honor to have you with us. Thanks a lot for having me, Wang. I uh, understand that you could be coming to China soon um, for not least uh, the China International Import Expo. It is a very important platform initiated by China's leaders. Uh, in its previous editions, Merck showcased a wide spectrum of innovative products and technologies. Uh, what can we expect this year? We have been in China uh, for 80 years. We have a significant uh, presence, in, uh, industrial presence, and also innovation hubs. We have 4,500 employees in the three business uh, sectors, and, and we are there for the long term. Our strategy is, is China for China. So we have been uh, doing business, as I mentioned, for almost 90 years, and as an ecosystem for multinational and national corporations, as well as innovation, we have really uh, got significant benefit from uh, the positioning that we have in, in Shanghai. We will continue to expand our presence uh, because we believe our strong science and, and technology expertise is providing us with a perfect en environment to engage and continue to build very strong relations with businesses, partners, academia, and, and startups. So at this uh, CIIE, our teams will get the unique experience to, and engage with customers and our partners in China to deepen their understanding of the Chinese markets. And importantly, as this year is marking the 50th anniversary of the bi bilateral diplomatic ties between China and Germany, the CIIE is extra important to us. From a practicing doctor in Madrid, Spain, to becoming the CEO and also the chair of the executive board of a giant multinational, it's a huge leap, uh, it's a huge step forward. How did this transformation happen? Over the years, I have transformed uh, myself uh, a number of times. And, um, you know, I decided to join the industry after after being a practicing physician for uh, five years in a, in a big hospital, in a, in a big general hospital in, in Spain and uh, entered the industry in R&D and over the years developed into different global, local and, and uh, regional positions until I got to Merck, where I have spent um, uh, the last 11 years. And, and, you know, I joined Merck because this is a very special company in which, uh, you know, uh, the attractiveness of the transformation ahead of us in 2011 was uh, was uh, 
uh, appealing to me as I was moving from managing Europe for another company to managing uh, the business uh, uh, globally for for uh, for Merck um, in healthcare at the beginning and then expanding to uh, to the um, my current role in in two thousand and twenty one in May twenty twenty one. Let's fast forward to the current times. Uh, one of the thorny issues we're dealing with the, the global pandemic, COVID-19, and its many variants. Um, I understand that in much of the world, uh, people are treating it like pretty much of a flu, but in parts of the world, it is still being dealt with very seriously. Um, how has Merck contributed to the battle against the pandemic? I mean, what were the biggest challenges during this period? So let me um, um, start by saying that the pandemic has really an inflection point for the world but also for enterprises like Merck. And for us, as a global science and technology company, uh, our obsession was, first of all, making sure that we acted on our employee base and, and kept uh, our employees uh, safe, safe and healthy. But importantly, from day one, we, we um, um, started to look at, at how our science and technology uh, business mainly life science, but also pharma and electronics could contribute to solving the challenges of the pandemic. We still do that today, right? Because even when we are entering perhaps an endemic phase, there are new strains and, and we continue to be, you know, operating uh, in a context which is very, very challenging. First of all, our life science business was absolutely frontal to helping vaccine manufacturers to accelerate the production, the development, uh, the um, and production of of uh, vaccines when when the vaccine was identified. So we have contributed to more than eighty vaccine projects, uh, both viral vectors uh, vaccines and mRNA vaccines, producing uh, unique lipids, which are coating the the mRNA, the, the mRNA uh, vaccines, but also providing critical products like single-use bioreactors that are essential to manufacture biologics. Then, of course, uh, in, in pharma, we scanned each and every asset of our pipeline to see if one or another asset could actually be developed to treat uh, patients with severe disease. And of course, uh, through our electronics business, we contributed very much to connecting people during the pandemic. So I think Merck is uniquely placed for those reasons, not only because of the profile of our businesses and the products that we provide to the world in the context of the, of the COVID pandemic, but also because, you know, we found ourselves um, in the middle of, of a challenging situation and we really thrived simply because over the years, we are a very resilient company, and this really showed during the pandemic and helped us uh, deliver continued growth of our business and keep our employees safe and engaged, which was uh, uh, a top priority that we had, together with ensuring that our manufacturing operations and our supply chain stayed agile and, and dynamic. During a recent podcast, uh, one thing you said really struck us. You said technology and digitization is going to revolutionize the way healthcare systems are structured, 
And you said digitization of health will one day allow personalized treatment for each patient. How far away are we from this, uh, you know, um, a fantasy as some of them, some of us may call it right now. How far are we uh, from, you know, this digitization of Medicare today? Is it for the rich or it can be catered to everybody? So there are two aspects to your question. One relates to access and affordability and the other one relates to how advanced we are and we are you know, novel technologies are, are allowing us to develop uh, new products faster and more efficiently. Artificial intelligence and drug discovery, I mentioned that, and we are in the center of it. How far are we of fully tapping into each and every patient? We make good progress. Uh, more and more, we have uh, already personalized therapies. Uh, we are not an exception. We have tepotinib, which is developed for a, a very small percentage of CMET expressing non-small cell lung cancer. And we are now on a path in which the use of novel technologies is absolutely imperative to progress the understanding of, to take an example, each and every cancer patient, because it's an, each and every tumor is very different in, in the biology. So better understanding the biology, better mining our data, mm. and, and, and using novel technologies to advance faster is going to be, you know, key to materialize the vision of personalized medicine. Then access depends very much on, on a country by country basis. So as an industry and as a responsible company, we really want to make affordability part of our mission, right? And, and bring these therapies to, to all patients that can benefit from those. And, and in that context, we have multiple global health programs, different access programs in, in the U.S. and other markets, definitely in China. And I believe that to, to fully benefit from, from the digitalization of healthcare, we have to go beyond the industry. Beyond the industry, this is a, this is a topic that has to be addressed by multiple stakeholders. And there we are participating of different initiatives to make sure that um, uh, digital health becomes a, a, a well-established trend as it was during the pandemic, because it's good for the patients. And if we put all the stakeholders, um, industry, uh, payers, policymakers, regulatory agencies to think with a patient at the center, I think we will be able to progress much faster on, on and, and really grabbing the benefits of digital health. We are progressing, yeah, not yeah. fully there yet. Yeah, that is a great goal. I mean, many would, you know, welcome a precision-based personalized medicine, but um, not all of us are, you know, science savvy. So can you explain what is precision-based personalized medicine? And what does that have to do uh, with their illnesses, with their lives? Personalized medicine aims to tap into genetic alterations that are specific to, to some of the tumors. I don't want to get too technical, but basically when you are diagnosed of a tumor, right? Understanding yeah. how the tumor has been generated and what are the mechanisms behind the tumor will help identify a specific medicines that will address that abnormality. And by doing so, the efficacy and potentially the tolerability of those new uh, medicines will be adapted to the conditions of that patient and that tumor. 
And this is this is a reality already. Erbitux is a personalized medicine acting yeah. on a particular genetic alteration and addressing that in a very personalized way so that the, the risk benefit profile of any new medicine can be improved. China has a very unique position in Merck's global network today. Uh, we know that it has been you know, in this country, even before the People's Republic was established, what are the main projects? And most importantly, perhaps, what is your plan for the future? Our plan for the future is to continue to expand our footprint. As you know, in the three sectors, we have a very solid position in life science, healthcare, and electronics in China. Uh, we have invested uh, on greenfield manufacturing uh, capabilities in healthcare. I have been personally in China in, in, in 2016, I believe, when we have our, our groundbreaking uh, ceremony uh, of the uh, uh, healthcare factory in Nantong, which is now fully operational. We also built a life science. Um, and we recently announced uh, an expansion of our partnership with WISHI to make sure that we continue to uh, expand capacity on single-use uh, assemblies and we will continue to invest capital to, to grow uh, and to tap on a market which we believe will stay very highly attractive. Yeah, I mean, it is a big market. Uh, we're talking about China. Uh, there's still many unmet medical needs in China and many foreign healthcare businesses are mostly focusing on two strategic priorities. Uh, namely in-market portfolio and innovation. Uh, how do you think Merck can maximize the potential of its existing products? And in China's fast-evolving healthcare market, what kind of innovation do you foresee has been, uh, has been needed the most? In China, we have gone beyond the products and we have, we have really established partnership to use uh, the, the progressive and, and very relevant digitalization in the country to, to reach uh, additional patients with educational programs, uh, for example, in pre-diabetes, which is a big epidemic in, in China, uh, to tap into our uh, cardiovascular and cardiometabolic expertise, providing medicines that are part of the uh, essential drug list uh, in China. But most importantly, our main interest uh, um, uh, sits with oncology, each and every asset, that we are developing is now um, uh, also offered to uh, Chinese centers to be able to bring China into our global development programs more often and to eventually develop innovation in cancer for tumors, which may be more prevalent in the Chinese environment, like liver cancer or others, yeah. or head and neck, lung, lung cancer. Lung cancer. Yeah which is very important. So we, we are aiming to become a, 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 even a bigger player in this space in oncology. And we have excellent uh, reputation already and, and great relations with uh, big academic centers and hospitals in order to make sure that China is part of our global strategy and our global uh, development of new medicines. Yeah, talking about China-Germany relations, uh, the two countries are celebrating, like you said, the 50th anniversary of their diplomatic ties. As chair of one of the most influential German businesses, what are your expectations for China-Germany relations? More than ever before, it is absolutely critical that we continue to think globally, that we continue to, to, to share our purpose and value to, to, to generate uh, impact for society at a global level. So my expectation is that 
we keep a great and fruitful collaboration uh, with our Chinese partners. Uh, we need each other. We have significant strengths. We have in Germany a lot to offer to China and China has to, to a lot to offer to us. And for a company like ours, uh, a global science and technology company, we not only believe that we share the, our values, but we also share our strong resilience and working together for the good of society is, is what I believe is absolutely key. We need to keep that in mind. Collaborations in the current uh, environment is going to be key to benefit society, to be more sustainable and to bring better medicines to patients uh, in order to ensure that we promote healthier and longer lives. Madam Belan Galijo, Chair of the Executive Board and CEO of Merck, thank you so much for taking time off and talking to us. Thank you very much. It has been a pleasure talking to you. Focus, focus on what's relevant in China and the world. Bridge the, bridge the gap between what you know and what you want to know. This is The Hub. This year marks the 50th anniversary of the diplomatic relations between China and Maldives. Under the Belt and Road Initiative and other China-built infrastructure projects, this cluster of coral islands in the Indian Ocean has increased mobility and improved this economy. Earlier, I had an exclusive interview with the Ambassador of the Maldives to China. Madam Ambassador, welcome to the Hub on CGTN. Thank you very much. Um, first of all, let me thank uh, CGTN and the team for giving me this platform to enlighten on the close ties between the Maldives and China. The Maldives um, was one of the first countries in South Asia to join the Belt and Road Initiative. Yes. And like you mentioned, uh, China-Maldives Friendship Bridge is a symbol of this initiative, of this uh, cooperative partnership. Why is this bridge so important? The Maldives values the important contribution uh, by China towards the socio-economic development of the country. The capital island Male is, uh, you know, the hub of our development. You know, it's congested. A uh, lot of uh, people uh, reside in the capital island. As you know, the Maldives is um, one island is one hotel, one island is uh, the airport. So. Very widely dispersed. Yes, widely dispersed. So transportation is uh, an important factor in our development. The China-Maldives friendship has become the symbol of the profound friendship between the China and the Maldives. Since the opening of the bridge, uh, already 100 million trips has been made between uh, between the capital and, and uh, to the connecting uh, Hulule Island. And this made a huge contribution to the economic and social development as well. The bridge has changed people's lives and business and making things easier for everyone living in the area as well as those uh, visiting the country. The China Maldives Friendship Bridge, uh, social housing as I said and other uh, China-aided projects have demonstrated the deep friendship of the Chinese people towards the Maldivian people and set milestones for the, our bilateral relations. You know, especially during uh, monsoon seasons um, where the sea is a bit rough it has always been very difficult to transport from, you know, between the airport. So the bridge has eased people's life and made things much easier for them. Ambassador Azima, I want to talk about climate change. And we know that the Maldives is really at the front line battling climate change. It's about the lives of your fellow citizens there. 
Um, I remember a senior official of your country said, if no drastic actions are taken, uh, the Maldives can be underwater by the end of the century. And this is not a apocalyptic scenario in the Hollywood movie, but this is happening as we speak. Yes, the climate change is not a concern raised only by the small island states uh, and other climate vulnerable countries. It is not only about sea level rise or erosions. It is now a global emergency. Every day, we are observing more, more uh, powerful storms and hurricanes uh, all, all around the world. Unpredictable rains and monsoon patterns, roaring wildfires, devastating floods. Today, all nations of the world are facing the consequences of our collective uh, inaction on climate change. Since the Maldives became a member of the United Nations, in every forum the Maldives advocates on these issues. Maldives may be powerless uh, in unilaterally preventing the adverse effects of climate change, but that does not mean that we will simply accept our fate. In December 2020, President Ibrahim Mohamed Soli announced the intention to read net zero emissions by 2030 at the Climate Ambition Summit. We are also rethinking our development model to achieve the future we want. President Solis' administration has introduced significant legislative and policy measures to re reduce, reuse and recycle. Under the, these measures, the use of single plastics will be completely phased out by 2023. In COP27 this year, the Maldives will continue to vocalize the fight of small island nations and vulnerable nations. We will reiterate our over and over again that we have just over 90 months to bring down the global emissions to limit uh, the temperature rise to 1.5 degrees. That any small increment in warming uh, means destruction of our lives, of life-giving coral reefs, increased uh, erosions, droughts, and changes to our fish stock. We will continue to ask the world to respond to the situation for what it is and the emergency. The Maldives stands at the forefront of the climate change battle. The Maldives is one of the most vulnerable island countries on earth to the effects of climate change and thus a need to adapt to climate change. The lowest lying uh, country in the world is, you know, is not uh, even built on sand but on planet's most endangered ecosystem, coral reefs that shattered fragments uh, of which compromise even uh, of our fabulous white beaches. We work together for a shared future, for a peaceful tomorrow for future generations to come. So, Madam Ambassador, we know that the Maldives is the upper middle income country with a per capita GDP increasing significantly year by year. And the president of your country said he wants to diversify the economy of the Maldives, uh, not just relying on the tourism industry. How do you see that happening? The Maldives has uh, continued to develop at a steady pace uh, during the last 20 years. The economy has remained resilient amongst the shocks of the world, uh, has been seen during you know, the past period. Pro-market policies embedded within, within the government's economic vision uh, contribute to a strong, liberal and transparent trading and uh, commercial environment. In its drive to build a strong and stable economy, the government has implemented several policies that opens up attractive opportunities for, in, for foreign investors. Uh, Modi's has enjoyed strong economic uh, growth uh, 
with considerable development of the country's infrastructure and connectivity. The economy has grown at an annual rate of 6.4% during the five, five years period prior to the COVID-19 pandemic. By 2019, annual GDP has uh, increased to US dollars 5.6 billion with a per capita GDP of US dollars 10,541. Although the pandemic has reduced economic growth, early signs in recovery of the econ key economic sectors indicate that the country can bounce uh, back to its uh, expected economic performance in a relatively short period of time. We know that this year also marks the 50th anniversary of the establishment of diplomatic relations of China and Maldives. Uh, in 1972, Maldives recognized PRC. Uh, this relationship, as you said, is certainly significant uh, trade-wise. Uh, bilateral trade grew some 40-50% last year. Uh, Chinese tourists account for a large uh, chunk of all tourists, uh, inbound tourists to your country. How would you characterize the current state of the relationship and how do you hope that this relationship can be further boosted? The Maldives uh, established uh, diplomatic relations uh, with the People's Republic of China on uh, 14th October 1972. But even before that, we had very close friendly ties with the people of China. Earlier as the Ming Dynasty, we still had uh, exchanges of gifts, gifts and travelers exchange between the Maldives and China. But this year we marked the 50th anniversary of establishing diplomatic relations between our two countries. The Maldives has always had a, sp a special significance to its relations with China, an unwavering commitment to the One China policy and our shared uh, perspective in addressing international issues of mutual interest um, have helped our bilateral relations thrive from benefit uh, of the people of both countries. Modis-China relationship can be an example of how even eco economically weak um, small members of the international community can have a mutually productive and progressive relationship with one of the biggest and the largest economic powers in the international community. China has uh, been and remains an, an important economic bilateral uh, development partner to the Maldives in its journey to secure uh, a place in one of the most vibrant uh, middle-income uh, developing country. Over the past decades, the assistance and contributions uh, by China has immensely contributed to the socio-economic development of the Maldives. From social housing uh, projects such uh, uh, and infrastructure projects such as the upgrading of the Velana International Airport, which is a gateway to our tourism industry, link road projects, and human resources development, uh, which has led to you know, numerous developments uh, within the Maldives economy. One of the most important and landmark uh, project is the China-Maldives Friendship Bridge. As we look forward to moving forward, the win-win you know, cooperation and explores more avenues uh, for mutual cooperation beneficial for the people of both countries. And that brings us to the end of this edition of The Hub on CGTN. Thank you so much for tuning in. Our news coverage continues. Bye and take care.